want to give a special welcome to our video audience. My name is Sherwin. I'm pastor here, and we have two services, one at 9 and one at 11. This is the 11 o'clock one, and we are certainly uh, have room for you, so come on down. Um, what we are doing today is talking about how to be happy for the long haul. And what I have observed is that all relationships have certain things in common. There are certain factors that are the same in every relationship. Whether it's a relationship with your boss, you know, that has certain dynamics to it. People ask me, you know, well, really, who is a pastor's boss? And I say, well, a liberal Jew, because, you know, that's what Jesus was. And I, I talk about that all the time. And, um, but your relationship with your boss is, is unique, and it can go long term. Your relationship with your kids has certain dynamics to it, too, that are in common with all other ones. Pastors and congregations have certain dynamics in those relationships, too. And lately, I've been meeting uh, off and on with a, a group of pastors, and I know you're all just dying to know what that's like to be in a room with pastors. Paula, where'd you go? Paula, you could tell us what that's like, right? It's very exciting. I took a picture. Here we go. This is what a pastor's meeting is like. Okay. Now, at, the, at a recent one, I, there's a couple of guys there that are unemployed. They've been removed from their jobs, not because of scandals, but because of other dynamics. And I, I heard some real tales of woe that uh, were quite surprising to me. Well, one thing I found out in common is that it was all the church's fault in every one of those occasions. You know, that was the image that I was getting. There were so many unreasonable people in those churches, according to the stories that I heard. And uh, these pastors believed that what happened to them was not their fault at all. And when the discussion goes that way, you know, I'm kind of the old guy in the room now, I try to find the door. I'm looking to get out of there, you know. It's, after eight cups of coffee, what do you expect? You know, you just want to find the door, but, and the reason I wanted to find the door is because I knew they were going to ask me some questions and they weren't going to like what, how I answered them. And so I tried not to answer them. But the question comes up. You know, they, some of them know the history of Lake and Bethel and know some of the conflict that was going on here in the 80s, which is ancient history. But they say, how did you last over 30 years at Lake and Bethel? At that point, I chicken out. I just say, I don't know. That's not a satisfying answer. Say, well, there must be some trick to it. And uh, really, uh, just show up and do the job, and that seems to work. But they call me out on that. And I say, well, after 40 years of being a pastor, I still don't know what I'm doing. And I don't know why it works. But as I've said to Shelley, I've embraced my incompetence, and that seems to work fairly well. Now, they're not satisfied my answers, but then they give up, and uh, I just don't say, well, there's, there's some principles that I have learned along the way. But usually folks don't want to hear those principles, 
especially if their relationship's not working. But I want you all to have long, happy relationships. That's a good thing. It's an appreciated thing. And long-term relationships with a congregation or long-term relationships with a boss or long-term relationships with a marriage all have certain things in common. And I always say a pastor in the church is kind of like a marriage in many ways. Uh, Diane and I are coming up on 38 years, and she was at the first service. I can talk about her now. But the thing is, I don't know why that works either. She just I've just married a very patient woman, so I got by with it. But marriage advice is probably best from people who've been happily married for 50 years or more. Are there clues on how to make long-term relationships work? Are there things that you can do to make those relationships happy? Are there principles that you can live by that promote long-term relationships? Is that a possibility? And I think there are. I think there are those principles, and today we're going to look at three of those that I've kind of boiled down from two different passages of Scripture. First, from 2 Corinthians 1. And this one's a little chewy, but it's, it's a good one. It says, For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you, and as God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. So here we see that Jesus is the ultimate yes. He loves you. And he puts that into action. You know, it's not like at the end of the prayers, he answers your prayers with love you, bye. He puts it into action every time. He gave his life as a ransom for you. And he watches over you every day. He knows what you're thinking right now. And he accepts you even when you don't accept yourself. He says, yes, you are worth saving. You are worth the effort. He is God's yes. And then Paul goes on, you know, and he's writing this letter probably from Rome to Corinth. And he says this, It is God who enables us, along with you, to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us and identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. See, God gives us everything that we need to hang in there. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He uh, does that like a deposit. Now, what in the world does that mean? He gives us his Holy Spirit as a deposit. And that is so hard to describe, but when you surrender to him, when you report for duty, he does send his Spirit, and it comes in such a way that it's quiet, but he's like your inner coach, constantly directing you. And that's like a deposit. Diane and I bought a new couch this month. We do that once every 25 years or so. And the store we bought it from 
one of the deposits. Now, I'm hesitant to put money down on anything until I have possession of it. But they wanted a deposit before they come out and deliver it, and they wanted 10% down. And I grumbled and complained, but I gave them the 10%. That was a guarantee to them that I wanted the couch. Now, when they brought it, I gave them a check for the remainder. But that deposit is what God is talking about here. That Holy Spirit, that inner testimony is a deposit. That inner voice that's changing you all the time. The inner director is my best way of describing it. He shows us how to do things, and he shows us how to manage relationships. Now, Paul goes on with this. This is kind of an interesting paragraph, and I'll give you a little background on it when I'm done reading it. it says, now, I call upon God as my witness that I'm telling the truth. The reason I didn't return to Corinth was to spare you from a severe rebuke. But that does not mean we want to dominate you by telling you how to put your faith into practice. We want to work together with you so that you'll be full of joy, for it is by our own faith that you stand firm. See, Paul wanted to avoid an argument here. And that's why he chose to not go to Corinth at that time. He had been a leader, you know, he'd been planting churches in all these different cities, but he didn't want to go back to Corinth because in the Corinthian church, there was a scandal. And what it was is that one of the leaders in the Corinthian church was having an affair with his stepmother. And that really irritated Paul. I, he writes about it in 1 Corinthians, and he says, you know, he's beside himself with anger on this. See, Paul was really into the whole law of love thing, of course, because he was into the teachings of Jesus. And he was into this whole idea of treating others the way you want to be treated. To Paul, it was the least loving thing that you could possibly do just to have an affair, especially with your stepmother. It was not loving to this guy's father. It was not loving to the stepmother. And it certainly wasn't loving to the new church. It was a very selfish thing, and it irritated Paul very much. So he stayed away because he didn't want to get into it with them. His principle can be seen in verse 24. I've underlined it. it says, but that does not mean we want to dominate you by telling you how to put your faith into practice. See, it was never his goal to do that. His goal was to, to proclaim the teachings of Jesus and then trust people to live their lives accordingly. He didn't want to tell them how to live. Teach the scriptures and let them apply the teachings as they will. And then their faith would be strong. He loved them enough to trust them to make their own moral judgments, even when it made him mad. See, love is a, is a huge thing in the teachings of Jesus. It's what it's all about. He's, Jesus himself said this. It's recorded for us in the Gospel of John, chapter 13. He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove that you are my disciples.
So this tells us what love is not. So it's not a reflex. It's not a feeling. It's not a reaction. If you reduce love to a feeling, it's just like those piles of snow out there. Kind of big right now. Kind of fun to watch the snow plow people pile those things up. But come July, it'll be gone. And love, that's merely a feeling, always fades, just like snow. It's gone. In February, we usually have snow on the ground here. But we don't in July. And that's kind of how that works. Love is not like that. Love is action. It's pulling for the best of the beloved. It's working to make life better. Love is secure and loyal. Love makes for happy relationships over the long haul. So when I boil these passages down, I get three principles for happy long-term relationships. And there's a space to write this in the back of those bulletins that you have. But it's, it's very simple. I, I put it down to three, and that's not an exhaustive list, but it's what I got. First one is love by action. That means for pastors, you have to love your congregation. You have to go the extra mile. In marriage, too, it has to be more than just words. It has to be accompanied with action. And I'm really strong on this. You know, Diane always says that. I told her I loved her the day we got married, and I also told her if I ever changed my mind, I'll let her know. So I don't have to repeat it all the time, you know. And... Uh, that's worked. Said coming up on 38 years. Um, but love is essential. It's willing to give of yourself for the other person's betterment. Now, saying I love you like I love pizza or something is meaningless. But going through chemotherapy together, that's where love really comes through. It's the action. It's the long term stuff. Go the extra mile to help out those God puts in the path. So that's the first thing, love by action. All right, the second thing is this, and this sounds so weird to so many people, especially pastors who think they know everything. Avoid winning arguments. It's one of the most profound things I ever learned. Because here's the secret, this works for marriage, Works for anything else. You cannot be happy and right at the same time. Does not work. Can't do it. If you're happy and right, you know what they call people who think they can do that? Divorced. And it pretty much always goes that way. It's true in most relationships when it comes to arguments, winning is losing. If someone is argumentative, what I do is I ask clarifying questions. And then I'll just say, well, I just don't see it quite like that. And I often add, I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. Then try to just let the other person win. Or don't argue in the first place. Because no one ever wins an argument. Now, there are some issues I won't compromise on. I'm very strong on them, 
But I don't argue about it. I just quietly go my own way. And most of the time, most of the time that works. But I always try to admit that I might be wrong. And that gets quite a bit of mileage, Helps definitely helps getting along. So avoid winning arguments. It's okay to lose an argument. Your ego can live through it. It's really kind of nice. And then the third one is to avoid defending yourself. That's a big one. Again, your pride's not worth it. Now, I had a critic once, years ago, who absolutely hated everything I did. Didn't like my preaching style. He didn't like the way I called on people in the hospital. He didn't like how I conducted funerals. And he was greatly offended because I drive Japanese cars on top of it. Now, I did some reading on this. Of course, I recommend Henry Cloud all the time. My favorite psychologist uh, has written extensively on this. But I also had the privilege of consulting more experienced pastors on this. And so I did. And this one old boy that I knew and appreciated said, well, when this guy approaches you, he usually approached me on Monday or Tuesday. He was all ticked off after Sunday, but he'd come the next day. And he, he said, don't defend yourself to him. No matter what you do, don't defend yourself. Just agree with him. And so he came after me. This time it was for a funeral. He didn't like the way I did it. And uh, I just said to him, this was not the nicest thing to say, but I was trying to not defend myself. I said, you know, you're right. I'm not much good as a pastor. If I was any good, I'd be in a big city and a big church, and I wouldn't be stuck arguing with an old redneck like you. Now, here's the strange thing that happened. He laughed out loud. And we became friends from that point on. But it was just... I had to admit that I wasn't any good, then it was okay, you see. And it worked. Now, that's not a good answer. But I said he did laugh and we became friends. And I've learned that defending myself just polarizes the situation even more. So to summarize, the three principles that lead to happiness over the long haul. One is love by action. Two is to avoid winning arguments. And three is to avoid defending yourself. That's how Jesus did things. And it's no secret, folks, we do things the way Jesus did them. Life is much better. That's what I wanted you to know today. So to our video audience, thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you next week.